I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Stephanie Walouris. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by VP and Research Director Glenn O'Donnell and analyst Abhijit Sunil to debate the impact of emerging technology on sustainability efforts. Welcome both. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. So naturally, there's two sides to the story of emerging tech and sustainability, and uh, we love a healthy debate around here at Forrester. But before we get into debating the benefits and the risks of some of these emerging technologies, tell us why this issue is such a hot topic amongst clients right now and, and tech leaders in general. Organizations across the board in every industry are taking action that puts them on a positive path towards climate action. Many organizations in the Fortune 200 in our survey we found have committed to a net zero or carbon neutrality pathway. And to enable companies to do this, they're exploring technologies, especially emerging technologies and trends that help in assessing and reduce carbon emissions in their scope one, scope two, and scope three. To define what they are quickly, scope one emissions are direct emissions that an organization has from their premises. Scope two emissions are emissions through purchased electricity. And scope three emissions are indirect emissions in their up and downstream value chain. And we see emerging technologies have a role to play in carbon emission reduction across the board uh, for organizations. Yeah, and, and our report on the Jekyll and High report highlights the fact that there are two sides of the coin here. There is, of course, the you know the good side, where you know technologies are helping the planet, but uh, you know technology has an impact too, and it, and that impact uh, can be negative. So you know these two forces balance each other, and and hopefully balance each other to the positive. They don't always, and we'll talk more about that. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because I think whenever people talk about emerging tech, there's always this tech optimism, which is tech is going to solve all our problems. It can, it can solve all of our climate change issues. It's going to help us reduce our carbon footprint. And then no one really looks at the downstream impacts of the technology itself <laughs> um, as an actual generator of carbon footprint. So let's actually take um, one category of emerging tech and maybe some people consider it emerging, maybe it's just tech in general, which is um, semiconductors and processors. And I guess there, there is some um, advances there that would put it back into the emerging tech category. And maybe it's the how processors are being just deployed in everything today, just about every device, um, every object has a processor in it as we begin to network things into smart infrastructure. Let's start there. What are the benefits on reducing carbon footprint? And then what are going to be the, uh, you know, the downsides that people aren't taking into account? Chips are central and a backbone to almost every technology. And the way semiconductor chips are manufactured and used will have impacts in every industry. Now, Processes and chips have long been uh, uh, looked into for power optimization, but now more so than ever before. And 
power management functions in semiconductor chips are uh, are now becoming more dynamic and uh, examples include turning off circuitry when it's not needed embedding uh, systems that earlier used to exist in embedded systems um, into broader um, computing systems as well we're also seeing the emergence of application specific circuits that are um, used for uh, not only particular applications for broader use cases uh, we're also seeing the advent of power optimized architectures like risk the most notable being the advent of apple's m1 chip according to apple switching to apple's m1 chip for, for the mac mini reduced the carbon footprint by as much as 34% yeah, and that's that's notable because the so-called risk architecture, reduced in, instruction set computer that's behind the uh, the Apple processor, it it uses less circuitry to accomplish much of what it needs to do, and these are more efficient chips. So that that is a positive development, and others have to follow suit. And, and you know this this topic of semiconductors is a good place to start this discussion because everything else. All these other emerging technologies, whether we're talking blockchain or AI or IoT, you name it, uh, it's all built on semiconductors. And this is why this is such an important thing. These things have been technically around since the 1940s, but uh, we're entering a new phase where everything, you know, everything you can think of now has a chip in it. And, you know, that means, you know, lots more chips. And, you know, it has all those benefits that Abhijit was mentioning that uh, you know, has the ability to have more control over power consumption. But there is a downside of semiconductors. And the most notable one is uh, these things are environmentally abusive to make. Uh, they generate, you know, they, they, they require an intense amount of electricity, electrical power, uh, a lot of water. Uh, you know, this, is not, this is not simple stuff. This is, this is high impact manufacturing. And you know, the, the manufacturers are taking a lot of measures to minimize the impact. Uh, you know, a lot of things like solar energy and, and other renewable energy sources are helping. And water reclamation to save water, you know, they're recycling water at an astounding rate. But it's still, you know, we can't ignore the fact that this stuff has uh, a pretty pretty heavy environmental footprint. And And the other thing that comes out of this is that we have to watch is, more chips means burning more power in general. You know, chips chips consume electricity, and more chips means consuming more electricity. So the power uh, footprint of all of this extra silicon that's floating around the world, uh, you know, we can't ignore that. Yeah, it seems to me, based on the discussion that you guys have, is there's some advances that will make the chips themselves be much more power efficient. Uh, more dynamic, like Abhijit mentioned, you could turn off circuitry when it's not needed. But at the end of the day, all you're doing is making this slightly less evil <laughs> or slightly less bad. I mean, to your point, Glenn, um, the manufacturing process itself um, consumes a lot of energy. It may or may not be clean or renewable. You know, you have to consume elements and resources. It takes a lot of water. You can get more resource efficient, you can get more water efficient, you can use renewable energy in the manufacturing process. But at the end of the day, this is still generating carbon footprint. All you can do is actually just make it much more 
much more efficient. So to me, this one doesn't sound like a solution at all. If anything, it's just you're you're minimizing the impact that you can. And to some extent in the tech industry, we just have no choice if really we want to have, you know, everything that this will enable, smart devices, the smart infrastructure, smart cities, you name it. This is at the core of making things, quote unquote, smart. Is it a necessary evil then? Yeah, I, th- I think I think it kind of is. And you know, maybe we don't look at it so much as evil. Um, I mean, yes, the, the I think the net impact here is negative on the environment. But uh, all the use cases that are emerging, and, and many of them are good use cases, and we'll talk more about more about that later. Um, but, you know, smart everything is inevitable. And you know, let's look at some of the other developments that are going on. Everybody gets excited about electric cars, you know, as opposed to fossil fuel burning cars. Well, electric cars need a lot of chips and a lot of power, and that does not come as a freebie. So I think, yes, uh, overall negative, but necessary. Yeah, that's a good way to think of it as the uh, necessary necessary evil. But so I I guess to to some extent then, too, when when chip manufacturers talk about making them more power efficient, that's good, and we should celebrate that. But sometimes I become wary where they – they make it sound like it's become some sort of solution. This is a necessary evil that you have to reduce the impact of. All right, so we've talked about semiconductors. Um, let's talk about an, another emerging tech that, again, tech, techno-optimists opti- love to celebrate, which is machine learning and AI, um, You know, every, which is everyone is excited about because it leads to um, more insight, faster decisions. It can power um, genomic research, financial risk modeling, weather prediction. Everybody loves AI and machine learning. So let's start about the specific benefits that can be applied to sustainability and climate action. Sure. And you're right, Stephanie, in the way AI and ML is talked about at this time, they are talked about heavily in terms of predictions and um, optimization. And in the report, we call out how AIML has broad applications in energy use optimization. We're already seeing AI-based solutions in, um, in, in predictive power usage monitoring in the data center, uh, in predictive maintenance for equipment uh, maintenance and security purposes, and uh, even creating sustainability benchmarks. So if excess energy is produced in the grid and AI engine can learn that and a machine learning engine can then direct that excess energy into where power is needed. So some um, use cases like these have already emerged and we are seeing, for example, um, well, we saw the example of uh, Google uh, partnering with DeepMind AI and implementing a neural network in the data center, which uh, eventually enabled them to predict the amount of energy that is used for cooling according to the amount of uh, power that is needed in data halls and overall reduce their energy usage by 40%, driving down their PUE by 15% in the data center, which is power usage effectiveness. And we are seeing AI's application in a variety of other use cases, including in 
predicting, as you mentioned, uh, the weather or therefore uh, forest fires. And uh, we're also uh, seeing how in manufacturing organizations, especially in the energy and utilities and oil and gas industries, use uh, AI engines to look into um, safe operations and predictive maintenance of equipment. So uh, AIML will have many more use cases as we uh, as we look into the next decade. All right, I'll buy that. And of course, there is the the AI that's used in climate risk analytics itself, which is you know a lot of the impact of climate change we won't be able to reverse even if we went to zero emissions tomorrow. So it's dealing with. The impact of that, like understanding sea level rise, understanding changes in weather patterns, droughts, wildfires, like you mentioned, et cetera. I think that's where we're going to see some of the real benefits here is the ability to make smarter decisions about what we do as a, as a human race. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the reasons we're in this pickle with sustainability and, and environment is you know, we just made a lot of dumb decisions as as a as a species. And if we make better decisions going forward, we'll be much better off. And I think that's the real benefit that we get out of this kind of stuff. Okay, my techno-optimist, give me the bad news. Well, I'll give you the bad news. (laughs) Uh, Doing this kind of processing takes an awful lot of compute power. Um, The the most common processor used for this kind of uh, compute is uh, the GPU, the graphical processing unit that you know, gamers use these things to, you know, to render on their screens aliens that you want to blow up and things like that. But it turns out that that uh, architecture works really well for the, uh, for the type of machine learning models that we're doing. Uh, the problem is these things burn a lot of power. They, they burn so hot that you can't put your finger on it. You know, if you open up a computer that has these things in, there's a big fan on it and a big heat sink to draw the heat away. What that's telling you is, you know, for, for all of the electricity going into that processor, it's generating more heat than it is doing compute. So what we need to do is make those processors, again, coming back to semiconductors, we need to make those processors more efficient because all the heat that you're getting off of there is wasted energy. That's not doing any good. So the more of that we can use, the better. But in, in the meantime, doing this kind of work takes an awful lot of compute power. In fact, the data that we've been looking at is, is startling. Uh, much of this is going on in data centers, whether they're corporate data centers or the cloud data centers. And data centers use about 1% of the world's electricity. And you think, well, 1%, that's no big deal. For just one particular use, that's a lot. That's insanely high. So uh, all of the data center providers uh whether it's uh, you know cloud or again corporate data centers, one of the big pushes here is to just make them more efficient and not burn as much heat, not generate as much heat, uh, because this does generate a lot of the CO2 equivalents. Um, you know, we we saw data that says you know, a lot of these large AI models can emit five times the lifetime emissions of the American car. That's mind-boggling. So we have to get better at this. And I think if we make that more efficient, we'll be better off. But again, this is not something we can ignore. Yeah. And I think that data center use at 1%, I've heard 1% to 2% of world's electricity. That I think that's conservative. And that's just today. That doesn't take yeah. into account growth trajectory over the next five to 10 years either. Um, but I guess let me throw it back to you. I mean, and I tend to be... Um, 
you know, more techno dystopian. Um, but in this case, I do have some questions, though, which is, you know, you mentioned hyperscalers and cloud providers. You know, if you a lot of them actually do claim that they're running their data centers completely on renewable energy. So if you have a data center that is running on completely renewable energy, does that offset um, a lot of what we're talking about here? Um, and then, you know, you have data centers that run on renewable. You also have data centers that can optimize their geographic location to reduce power and cooling requirements. I mean, you've seen, you know, data centers in Nordic regions, um, a couple of the hyperscalers talk about actually building a data center to water um, to reduce power and cooling costs. So in this case, like, can you truly offset the, the carbon footprint of both the energy requirements as well as the energy that you need for power and for cooling in this scenario? So some of these specialized applications on uh, that requires AIML, um, the amount of energy that AIML powered uh, applications require are the reason basically why these cutting edge uh, research and development efforts in the data center is happening in the first place. So um, when I recently spoke with a service uh, service provider who develops ML um, machine learning um, related uh, applications in the healthcare space, they mentioned that some of these algorithms are so cutting edge and at the same time are so impactful that, that the notion of sustainability is not even being talked about yet. Uh, one example is uh, the use of um, machine learning in looking at uh, um, scans for patients in radiology and uh, the applications themselves are no doubt much more energy intensive, computing intensive uh, than a regular com computer application, so to speak is. However, um, the impact of the application and the use case itself is so cutting edge that uh, the notion of optimization is not in the conversation yet. However, other applications that may be more mature, for example, face recognition on devices and user devices like phones, uh, have come along in uh, their maturity so much that we are now able to optimize that uh, for more than uh, actually just thinking about implementing it. Yeah, I, I guess the question is like, regardless of how compute intensive the actual model is, if you're making the argument that the data center is running on renewable energy and it's also maximizing its power efficiency, maximizing cooling efficiency, again, could you argue that it's that it's the the net impact is is on carbon is minimal? Well, um, it would be minimal if the data center does all of these things, but right. It's not all data centers are able to do all of these measures. Now, this is one big reason why we are seeing a lot of enterprises explore the uh, public cloud model or turning towards larger co-location uh, uh, players who are able to put into place some of these measures within their data centers surely because of their scale and because they are able to put into place certain measures like this. The example we talked about earlier of Google experimenting with um, an AI engine that will predict energy usage in data halls is one such example. 
smaller data centers that are operated uh, by enterprises on premises may not have enough scale to experiment with uh, cutting edge technology to lower their PUEs or to have their data center run all on renewable energy or to make partnerships like that with uh, utility firms. Yeah, my guess though is if you don't have the kind of heft to be negotiating with partners or to demand renewable energy in your data center, you're also not the one who's investing in some seriously cutting edge AI either. So I don't know, for me, I'm I'm gonna go with good for this one. I think potentially very good, yes, potentially good. Because again, it's gonna help us make better decisions. In fact, one of the problems we have with this is people just willy-nilly apply machine learning to anything. So making better decisions is going to help that. Should we do it this way? Uh, Ironically, it's going to take machine learning to help us make those decisions. So let's let's move on to the next emerging tech. Let's talk about edge computing and IoT. And, you know, it's interesting, this discussion that we've had so far, I mean, we've talked about these emerging technologies as distinct, but to some extent, they're all incredibly interrelated and even build on each other. We talked about semiconductors um, and we talked about AI. Um, Really, those two things are actually what you need for all the kinds of edge computing and IoT use cases that people think about. Um, You think about what's being done in uh, agriculture and increasing crop yield. You think about what's being done in manufacturing in smart cities and smart infrastructure, transportation. There's a lot of exciting things that are actually enabled by uh, every device having a a chip in it and being able to distribute the processing closer to where the data uh, and the intelligence is needed. Um, You know, there's some exciting, exciting use cases for this tech. From specifically from a sustainability perspective, I'm curious, Abhiji, what do you see as the, as any possible benefits of this? And yeah, you're right about edge and IoT being a key example of how all of these emerging technologies are interrelated to each other. We spoke we spoke earlier about uh, chips and how chips are a core part of IoT devices, and even the chip shortage that we've experienced over the past uh, couple of years have had major implications on the availability of uh, IoT devices and in the edge computing space as at Forrester we've written about. Now, Edge and IoT, we say, have passive roles to play in data gathering and optimization of networks. And that's the core of how Edge and IoT can help with sustainability. IoT devices can be embedded in remote locations to gather critical climate data. And Edge can help process this data where they originate and thus reducing loads on networks as well as emissions back at larger data centers. Um, Edge computing can help enable some of the AI ML use cases that we talked about earlier, right at the edge of uh, the ecosystem of a technology organization to analyze this data and take action um, at the edge without having to transfer data back to a, a cloud location or to a larger data center. Uh, So edge and IoT use cases have relevance across scope 1, 2, 3 emission reductions and especially in scope 3 emission reduction where um, edge or um, IoT devices can help with uh, monitoring and penetrating as deeply into the supply chain as possible 
to gather data about, um, for example, the um, in one use case we saw uh, Chiquita explore uh, AR VR to illustrate to customers the sustainability journey of a banana. So in agricultural use cases like that, and uh, in other use cases such as in fleet management, uh, smart cities, smart lighting, smart building solutions even. So we'll see the emergence of edge and IoT um, services as a major enabler for sustainability in the coming in the coming years. So then, Glenn, what are some of the downsides that people don't think about? Well, as 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 again, we make everything smart. We need more. We need more of that instrumentation out there. More chips, more devices, and more devices means more power consumption. Now, granted, you know, we talked earlier about the uh, the, the, the chips for AI burn an enormous amount of power. In the most, for the most part, IoT devices burn very, very little power. But where you may have one processor for AI, you might have a hundred or a thousand IoT devices out there. So, what is the aggregate of all of those things? That's the big question. In fact, we're trying to quantify that now. It's not an easy thing to do, but uh, you know, lots and lots and lots of little things add up to a big thing, and uh, that cannot be ignored. But I think the bigger issue here is. You know, in the consumer world, we tend to be, you know, everything disposable. So if I get a Nest doorbell and, okay, well, that thing has a certain lifespan to it. At the end of its lifespan, I throw it in the trash. That, that's the typical mode of doing things. Uh, and, you know, all of this electronic waste is going to be a big problem if, if we don't manage it. And we also have in a commercial setting, especially industrial settings, in a longer lifespans. And what that means is, you know, we in the tech space, we're used to throwing things away after two years. You know, if you've got a mobile phone that's two years old, it's, it's, it's ancient. Uh, in the industrial world, we have machines that sit there for 20, 30 years doing the same thing over and over again every day. And as we make that smarter, the, the technology that makes it smarter is going to also be there for 20, 30 years. And after a certain amount of time, this stuff just does not take advantage of newer technologies that can uh, be more efficient. So it's, uh, it, there is a lot of waste in older electronic devices. And we see that across the board. Uh, it, you know, many, of, many of our industrial machines have uh, uh, programmable logic controllers that are 20 or 30 years old, literally, and they're not power efficient. So we need to manage that. And as we develop the products that are going to go into these situations, plan that the maintenance is going to take care of such things. So yeah, I think, again, it comes down to decisions. Uh, Edge and IoT allow us to make smarter decisions, but in the process, uh, maybe some of those decisions we're making are not so smart after all. So I'm curious then too, then to offset some of that, I mean, I can recognize the massive waste problem. I mean, we're talking thousands, tens of thousands of of devices and sensors. I don't know if this is an easy fix per se, but is this where we need much more robust kind of e-waste programs and recycling programs and refurbishment, not just throwing stuff away, but refurbishing them and using it again? Yeah, we as a society have to get a lot smarter about that. 
and it has to become part of our daily lives. You know, recycling anything is, it, it's, it's, pain, it's a pain. You know, taking your plastic bottles out to the recycling center is an inconvenience, but we do it because it's a good thing for the planet. Not everybody adopts that mentality. So we have to make it part of the, the social fabric that, all right, anything that, anything that has a battery or a plug, at some point it's going to die and you don't want to just throw it in the trash. Or if you do, then that means the trash companies and waste management and everybody like that, as this stuff comes in, they're going to have to have some way to sift through all of that garbage and find the stuff that needs to be recycled or refurbished or whatever. It's a big problem, but there are solutions if if we as a society uh, step up. I feel with this one that it's almost it's almost neutral. There's so many use cases for this technology that will make our world more efficient and enable significant advances in transportation and agriculture, you name it. But then at the same time, more devices, more manufacturing, more energy consumption. So without a corresponding advances in renewable energy, e-waste management, recycle, recycling and refurbishment, um, your, your best case scenario is it, it washes out, um, but without it, it could actually have a worse footprint for the world and for the environment. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think I think it is pretty much a wash. It gives us a lot of feedback, but there are downsides. And and let's also remember a lot of this stuff is battery powered. Uh, you know, think of us think of a smoke detector. Now you buy a smoke detector, it has a 10-year battery in it. You don't have to replace the battery. But after 10 years, that whole thing is shot. So how do you dispose of that? A battery is is not a happy thing in the environment. And, you know, that tiny little bit of radioactive material that detects the, uh, the smoke is also not something you want going into a, a landfill. It's interesting. So all these emerging technologies, the categories that we've talked about, some of them have, I think, a more compelling case that they're, they're on balance more good than harmful to the environment. But I think what I've come away from all of this is it's not that easy to put, in, put them in a simple bad or good category that the approach is actually to consider the total impact and to try to minimize it. And there's very few things that aren't going to have some kind of impact. So what is the best plan to balance all the positives and negatives as you start to consider deploying this emerging tech? It's important for us to discuss the negative or risks associated with emerging technologies so that these risks are not in uh, the blind spots as we adopt and as we see the rise of uh, these technologies. We discussed edge computing and the risk for uh, uh, the risk it poses for e-waste management. Uh, it also disseminates the carbon footprint of an organization to the edges, so it is harder to monitor and put into place the types of measures we might otherwise put into a data center at the edges because we may not be able to put an AI engine for predictive energy measurement uh, in an edge data center, a small modular data center, for example. So the, the takeaway is for us to think about use cases backwards. So as a technology leader who is looking into emerging technologies and how it can help in their sustainability strategy in climate action and mitigation, uh, climate action and climate change adaption, um, what types of use cases would these emerging technologies fit into? Um, like, for example, the adoption of edge and IoT, or 
how will you include sustainability related efforts into every digital transformation and then work backwards into finding the right balance as Glenn often puts it into a Goldilocks uh, space uh, of the benefits that a technology can provide versus the risks that it can uh, it, it can pose. A uh, simple example is the use of AI ML. Is there an alternative uh, to using uh, such a uh, 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 such an AI ML um, uh, uh, engine for something and uh, perhaps a less carbon uh, intensive uh, alternative? And in the report, we explore other technologies as well, such as blockchain too, which is which also has similar sides to the story. And the important takeaway is to think about use cases backwards and if and to see if there is a real need for using uh, technologies that may be more compute and carbon intensive than others. Yeah, it's it's important that we we achieve that balance. And balance is something that seems to be foreign in the society we live in today. But uh, you know, let's not be Pollyanna about this stuff. Everybody gets excited about things like electric cars and all that. Okay, it's it's good, but it, there's a downside to it too. And you have to account for all of these factors. Uh, it is this is not this is not a panacea. It is not uh, you know. You know, the the apocalypse. There, there is a middle ground, and let's let's find that middle ground and just make the right decisions as you're doing all of this stuff. These technologies are coming, whether we like it or not. Let's just be smarter about how we're going to deploy them. Thank you both for joining us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, or drop us a note at podcast at Thanks for listening.